He said, ma'am, your situation is dire. 24 hours. If we don't address this, you're not going to be here. Failing. 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 I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I have Crystal Render who I met, I don't know, Crystal, six months ago, maybe? Four months yeah, ago? Yeah, approximately. Yeah. And we were, she was on a panel that I was moderating. And my friend that organized the panel said, oh my God, you've got to get her on the podcast. And then when I heard her speak that night, I was like, please get on the podcast. Crystal is the founder of Magnificent Morsels. She's a chef, she's a mother, and she's an entrepreneur. Welcome. Crystal! Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm so glad you're here too. Yeah. So give us the skinny. Well, it's just one exciting to be here. Let's just talk about that for a moment. And when we met, what, six or so months ago, it was just an awesome opportunity to meet a personality like yourself. So super grateful for that. So thank you for having me here first and foremost. And Yes, let's talk all things Crystal Marie and business and Crystal mom Marie. and entrepreneurship. Where'd you grow up? Ooh, believe it or not, the back hills of Kentucky. So mm-hmm. I was raised in Taylor Mill, Kentucky. Very, very humble beginnings. Um, beginnings that I am so ultimately grateful for in this day and age because I think sometimes we forget the foundation in which we come from. So yeah. you're talking... This city girl who is super glam, extra beyond means, and all things bling. Yes, I was that little girl with no shoes, playing Mm. in mud, picking crawdads out the creek, and having 10,000 pets on our, yes, I'm about to say it, farm. Farm. So (laughs) I have a broad spectrum behind me. <laughs> I I read a couple articles about you and, and one of them specifically talked about the farm and the humble beginnings. And I was thinking about, and somebody quoted you in this article about saying something like, today it's made you appreciate what you have with sustainability and not wasting food. And you often hear about people who come from humble beginnings or who live, you hear about this, I feel like more in third world countries where they, they live in poverty, but they still have such joy. Did you have that growing up? Yeah, because we didn't know we were poor. And let mm-hmm. me just be clear for those listeners out here who don't, really don't understand what humble beginnings is. It's exactly that. You grew Poor. up with little to nothing and mm-hmm. you were just humbled because of it. So that's when someone says humble beginnings, that's really what we mean. We just didn't have a lot, yeah. but we had everything. And when I say that, I say that solely because there were seven children in our house, our mother, our father, we were tight knit family. When I really think back about it, I don't even understand how we lived in the house we did. I think it was like two and a half bedrooms because I don't even think it was a full real bedroom. And somehow we made it all work and we never missed a beat. We never missed a meal. And the funny part about it is every one of our neighbors was much more well off than we were, but we were the house everybody wanted to be at. Okay. I can totally relate to that. So I grew up, 
upper middle class, but went to a high school that was for sure upper class. I shared a bedroom with my sister. Um, we had the smallest house of all of my friends and guess where everybody wanted to be. You know it. Yep. Your house. My mm-hmm. house, my parents' house. I mean, I those humble beginnings gave us literally the foundation to live life in a different way, which makes us walk every day in gratitude because we know what things could be. Is that for all of your siblings or just for you? Every single one of my siblings still walk every day of their life through gratitude. And it's it's a rarity now. So we kind of it's kind of weird because we all stand out a little bit when we're in a crowd because we naturally gravitate to help. We naturally gravitate mm-hmm. to just step up and do because that's what you did in that type of family environment. And did your parents do that? Was that very much a value of your parents? Absolutely. Uh, my mother has like 15 siblings. My dad had like 13. Like we come from a crazy large family, some numbers that beyond astronomical, probably 482,000 first cousins for all I know. We quit oh counting after a certain point. Um, so you just did your part. So our entire family has that structure where if we're in a room or we're in, in any space overall, Whatever you're good at, you just naturally step up and take care of. That's Mm kind of your job. No one has to ask. No one has to tell you. You just do it. And this is a totally random question. Did you, because I keep thinking like some people who come from big families want a lot of children and some people that come from big families are like, no way, Jose. So for you, what was your choice? I know the answer because I, because I... (laughs) So my story's a little funny. I was always, I'm the youngest of the group. So I watched all my nieces and nephews be raised. So I didn't feel the pressure to like mandatorily have to have a million, but I always had it in my thought process. I wanted either none and I was going to be this bomb career boss or I was going to have no less than three and be like this super awesome mom. And it's funny how life throws you little loopholes because I actually think I manifested that exact number because I have three babies as mm-hmm. um, I know me and you have spoke about before. They're now 24, 18 and 12, mm-hmm. all six years apart, which is a crazy mix. But and then on top of it, I have this awesome career. So trying to manage both when in my mind, I always thought it was going to be one or the other has been an interesting journey up until this point. So we'll see how this all plays out. I want to pause because the language that you used around manifesting, you know, I'm obsessed with, with that. So tell me about what you believe manifesting is and how, how do you do it? So it's an interesting journey I've had with that because once again, that's, an aspect of life that I am absolutely obsessed with as well. Now, Um, I think in the beginning, I didn't realize that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as I over time educated myself, and that's just through avid reading um, articles, and just really being mindful of the situations I put myself in and the people I put myself in. The thing I kept hearing over and over and over again was manifest the life you want, design the life you want, things like that. And they all coordinated into this one big thing. And then I look back at my life at times when I said things over and over again, or when I wanted things and continually thought about them over and over again, I didn't realize then that that is exactly what I was doing. So it was happening unknowingly. Now the beauty is 
I know how to do that in a very specific manner now. So now's the beautiful point where I designed my life before I didn't understand that. And it was happening by chance. Okay. If you were teaching one of your kids how to manifest, what's like one or two tips that you give them? Wholeheartedly center yourself and focus on what you want. My next step would be write it down. That is hands down to me, the most important part. I don't care if that's journaling. I don't care if that's vision boarding. I don't care if that's just a little composition paper and writing Mm -hmm. it down every day for however long you feel necessary deemed to do so. So you write it down daily. Yes. So there's a three, six, nine technique that I've been learning here lately where, you know, you write it down three times, you think about it six times, and you go back over it nine times over the certain print, you know, parameters within the day. And the whole point is to get it to the point where it's almost on repeat mode in that three, six, nine um, manifestation technique. All right, say that one more time. So you three, six, nine, This is a new one I'm learning too, so I can't quote it in detail. You say it three times, you write it down nine times, or those flippy flopped. So it alternates. You can do it whatever works best for you. So you're supposed to at minimum think about it, whatever the item is. You can do it. You can alter it how you want it to be for you, what works best. Mm -hmm. But for me, what I do is a minimum of three times a day, I think very clearly about what it is I want. So if it's a goal or if it's an item or whatever it may be, I think about that clearly three times a day. So for me, that's morning, noon, and before bed. Got it. At some point in time that day, you're supposed to write it down at least six to nine times whichever one you choose, and then you're supposed to say. So if you choose to write it down six times, then you need to say it out loud nine or vice versa. So you can switch this up however you like. There is a specific technique, but you can alter it to whatever fits best for you. If you know you're an avid writer and you like journaling or writing things down, then make your written the higher number. Which is better for you? What do you prefer? So for me, I'm a writer. I'm a writer. I like to physically, it's something about pen to paper, writing it down, my brain locks it in. And then I can hold it better. I retain it better. Mm -hmm. And I focus on it more. When I say it, because I truly believe I have a little bit of adult ADHD, it goes, when I say it, I hear it, but it also goes in one ear and out the other. other. And I move on. So I, I don't feel the saying it portion is really where I gain my, my true, um, Yeah. And when you think it, when you're thinking it, are you also feeling it? That is the most important part of it. That's exactly what I'm getting ready to get to you about. So when you're in that thought process mode, you're supposed to really sit quietly in that moment. You want to think it, feel it, taste it, smell it, whatever that moment looks like for you. You need to be very clear on exactly what that is. What am I wearing in that moment? What does it feel like to me in that moment? Am I happy? I want to feel that happiness in the moment. You really want to mentally place yourself there as if it's already happened. That's the key. So I love how you started out with centering yourself because when I have worked on manifesting something and I've manifested it, sometimes it's not for my highest purpose or my highest self. And it ends up being something that I don't like doing 
And mm-hmm. an example was a, a business venture. I mean, when I owned the blow dry bar, I manifested that I built it. It was done. And Crystal, I hated it. It was not, it wasn't using and that's my, what you got to be careful myself, of because my best self. Yeah. Have you had so that? let me tell you an old little wives tale that I was always told as a kid and I always hold, heard my elders say it, but I didn't understand it when I was younger. Let me tell you, I appreciate it now. And they would always say little things like, be careful what you pray for because you just might get it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, duh, if I prayed for it, don't I want it? You know, but there's a sidebar to that. Sometimes we think we want something, but then when we get it, we're like, oh, yeah, this is. This is really not what I thought it was going to be. And I think that's where that old saying comes really into play because I think that holds a lot more value in that one quick saying than we realize. That's why you have to be very careful. Like I said, what you pray for, because you just might get it Mm -hmm. and you better be ready for it when it comes. And sometimes we pray big dreams and big goals and big things in our life. But if we don't have the foundations, the the parameters and that support and structure around us to support that or to catalyst that into the way we need it to, that's not going to be a good thing because now you're overwhelmed, you're stressed, you're not prepared. Or guess you, what? You prayed for it. That's right. Are your parents still living? My mother is. My okay. father died very young. He did. He did. He did. He died when I was literally eight years old. I remember everything about him, which is the blessing I feel like the most high has given me because at eight, I shouldn't remember it. I remember him in great detail, like as if it was yesterday, which is crazy. So I, mm-hmm. I take that as my gift because I was a daddy's girl. So you got, you got real love. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Remember his sound, his smell, his sound of his voice, everything. And like I said, those are things I probably should not carry as memories considering he he passed so long ago. Like yeah. I'm gonna keep it real. I'm 44. That was I was eight when that happened. That was a long time ago. <laughs> so <laughs> but, would you say that the manifestation thing, did you learn that from I was gonna say, did you learn that from your parents, or is that something that you learned later on in life? Much later on in life, uh, my parents didn't have that knowledge, that that part of the education that would have carried me to where I am today. So when I say this journey that I've been on just overall as a mom, mm-hmm. as a entrepreneur, business owner, all of these different aspects that I've now walked wholeheartedly and sure footedly, I've learned by strictly trial and error. Luckily, I'm one of those people who love just educating myself. And it doesn't have to be in a classroom setting. Yeah, I love you love learning. I love to surround myself with people who know more than me so that I can pick up what they know and apply it in my life. And luckily, because I've done that, I've come across some really awesome people. And I've been blessed that they are in the wonderful network and friendship circle that I can always lean on. Mm -hmm. And they're there to constantly either support me or push me forward. So I'm grateful for that. Well, I also think, you know, who you surround yourself with is definitely a reflection of who you are, what you want to be. And so let me just tell you some of the greatest advice. Once again, I didn't understand back then, but I fully understand now is it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. And that is so 
true because just knowing the right person that had, may have the right connection can catapult you 10 times faster than hard work and your knowledge ever could. Because sometimes it's I, what I've learned is it's really about positioning yourself as a person, positioning yourself as a business owner. Um, you have to be personable though. And, re- and creating relationships, which you've done with people. Over the years, I've coached executives and young professionals looking to embrace their strengths, level up their leadership, and find their dream careers. Just like my podcast guests, my clients have been stuck, but I've helped them navigate whatever challenge they're facing and find a way forward. That's the goal of our 10-week coaching program, Move Forward, through my guests' best practices our coaching tools, my team and I will help you discover your primary motivations and challenge the unhealthy and limiting beliefs that are holding you back. You'll use neuroscience to create new healthy habits and create a move forward plan for your future. If you're interested, you can visit failforwardpod.com backslash coaching to learn more and to sign up for a one hour exploratory coaching session. That's failforwardpod.com backslash coaching. So listeners, one of the things that Crystal did is through the pandemic, reached out to a local, uh, what is the soup? What do I call them? They're like a transformation kitchen is what I would quickly call them. They take the rescued and food and things that would normally go bad or be thrown in dumpsters and they transform it and use it to feed other people in the community or the neighborhoods around us. Beautiful organization. And, and so pandemic hits, you've got this catering company. You're like, what are we going to do? Keep ourselves busy. How can we help others? And you got your team to volunteer for La Soup and you served how many people? Oh my goodness. I think we put out over 26,000 meals um, to families over that time frame. Um, I say about a nine, not even a nine month time frame. We were just cranking it out every week. Uh, I remember sitting there with them and they were just scrambling. Like we have all this food. It's going to go bad. How we need people to process it and we can't get it out fast enough. And they sat there and they just said, hey, how much can you do? And I'm thinking to myself, I come from a family of, once again, the seven of us. And I had at that point in time, 27 nieces and nephews, you know, a meal for 50 was like everyday meal at our, you know, Sunday dinner table. So I can, yeah. We did it for years. I had every one of my, you know, all my siblings, nieces and nephews that came to my house every single Sunday. We had no less than 30, sometimes 50-ish people. And we all just commune and have a great time around the table and eat and have a blast. So cooking large meals was nothing for us. We were started as a luxury boutique catering company, but we had this hidden skill set that not a lot of people knew about. And this is where I say God's fine design is never, ever faltered because that skill set that would have normally been hidden for us was brought to the limelight by something that was so negative and so scary, which was COVID at the time. And I'm looking at her at this table and I said, well, how much do you need? She said, no, how much can you do? I said, literally, you tell me because we're limitless. And I think she thought we were kidding, but <laughs> right. no. I'm sure she, I'm sure she was like, and this, and listeners, this um, is Suzanne DeYoung that we're talking about who has been on the podcast too. And yeah, I'm sure she was like, Crystal, there's no way. 
And yet, twenty six thousand. You know, and you got to think from her spectrum. Here's this company that she's never heard of. It's quote unquote considered a small business. You know, so she's like, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I I need to see what you can do. And I'm sitting here just so nonchalant, just like, yeah, you just tell me what you need. I got you. You know, she's looking at me like, are you sure? And I'm like, no worries, got it. First order, we get up to like I think like twelve hundred meal she needed I think it was a test and she gives it to us and we call her the same day like hours later I'm like your order's ready and she's like huh <laughs> and so it was a pivotal moment for us then and obviously because of that we became great friends which I am so grateful for to yeah. this day so yeah but it's those moments that test you it's the ones that are meant to break you that you use as those testimonies turning that test into that testimony. And it's been one of the greatest ones of my life. Okay, I, wait, I learned a lot a about my own self. I love that quote. Say that again. Turning, turning the, te- the test into a testimony. That's, that's golden. Golden. Anything that comes into your life that is testing you, challenging you, and forcing you out of your comfort zone is always a test. Now, whether you pass it or not is another thing. But honestly, just embrace it. Do your best. And you turn whatever that test is into that testimony. What what has been okay? So way. we know what that was during COVID. What has it been recently for you? Wow, uh, funny you said that. Um, I have been living a whole test <laughs> this entire year. Um, so I have challenged me personally. I have challenged myself in ways that if I would have if I would have thought about it, I would have folded. So I had to just act. And I just told someone I sat in a meeting today, I'm literally walking on faith. I can't even look down at my feet because I'm probably, probably not even a floor there. And then that's where the fear will set in. But as Mm -hmm. long as I keep my head forward and keep going, I'll be fine. So when I say I'm walking on faith daily, that's me getting through the test. So for us, the biggest part of the test overall was me taking on so much this past spring and summer. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, we do a huge project that con- that makes us shut down all other aspects of Magnificent Morsels, our catering company. And this year, I said, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. We're really going to test our limits. We're really going to see if we can sustain as a company, as a business in this manner. And we have taken on organizations such as Reds. Amazon, the chamber, alongside of these huge, this huge contract where we have put out roughly an additional 20,000 meals, which has been about 1,500 plus meals every single week. So we're running our normal operations plus doing this project at the same time. So it took me to lean on my team mm-hmm. to learn them in a different way to have them learn me in a different way and ask them for my grace while we grow and scale this thing. And we worked phenomenally together. So this was a test of me trusting the process that I know that I was put here to do. So now it's just that lovely, beautiful point where I have to like relish in it a little bit. We, we did it. Yes. Crystal, can we go back to, let's talk about because I think this is really, really important for me, but also for listeners. So when you get in that headspace of you're looking down mm-hmm. and you start to get in that, that you face that fear or you feel that fear come over you, what do you do? Because we've all gone through that. 
I've learned the biggest lesson I've learned in that moment of fear and anxiety because I carry anxiety daily. Unfortunately, it's the ugly step cousin that lives on my shoulder here. (laughs) But this is what I've learned recently that has been a monumental moment for me is to allow myself to feel it at the moment. Mm -hmm. Allow myself to feel it at the moment. So if I'm stressed, if I'm angry, if I want to cry, if I, whatever that moment is, instead of we have a natural entity to want to push it down and get rid of it and keep going. That is literally the worst thing you can do. Um, I attended a seminar and, and they spoke deeply on that about how pressing that down and moving forward, which is what we always do, mm-hmm. is the worst thing you can do for your body, your that. mind, and your spirit. Yeah, you, the worst thing you could do for your body, your mind, and your spirit. And you might want to look into something about correlating your emotion, emotions with whatever health issues and sicknesses that you carry personally. Because nine times out of 10, what I noticed... Um, was different. What I found out, I should say, is that different emotions cause different sicknesses in the body. So if you don't allow yourself to express them. So the one that I found most interesting was fear is directly related to your sugar levels. And so that's a cool one that I think everybody should look up. So if you know someone who actually like tends to be really paranoid and overly fearful for no apparent real reason, you know, just lets anxiety get the best of them. Nine times out of 10, they have a little bit of issues with insulin levels and sensitivities and things like that. Um, As we all know, stress directly triggers your cortisol. Cortisol attacks the heart. That's why heart attacks come about. So what I'm saying is our entire life, everybody suck it up and move on. That is the worst thing you could possibly do. So I have learned, and I'm talking just now this year, allow myself the grace to feel it in the moment and then let it go and move on. Do you want to know something? I don't want to harbor that. My my, um, coach yesterday... I was upset. I was really upset about something that happened at work. And so I was talking through it with her and she said, I think this might be connected with something that had happened, you know, years ago. So I want you to, um, I want you to pull back. Like if there was a common experience, a similar experience that you had when you were like in grade school or younger or something like that. And how would you talk to that Sarah about this? And how would you comfort that Sarah about this? And I'm here to tell you, Crystal, it was way different than the way I was comforting 48-year-old Sarah. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, So I I would sit her down and I would literally get on her level because I think sometimes Mm, as adults, we talk to children from above. We forget we need to get on their level so they're not intimidated while they're receiving it. So let's let's have the moment on that one. Beautiful. But I would get on her level and I would tell her, it's going to be okay, but allow yourself the grace to get through it. Nothing is perfect. Nothing ever goes as planned, but the most high is always in control and he knows the best. Sometimes we just have to walk on faith until we get there to that little lovely promised land that we all know is coming, but give yourself the grace. We're hard on ourselves. Yes. And young Sarah hasn't probably even went through puberty. And you know, that's when you're the hardest. Totally. We're too busy trying to figure it out, one for ourselves, and then fit in with others. And then Where we got to please our parents. That? Because younger Sarah was like 11 
you know, she was definitely, she was little Sarah, little sweet baby mm-hmm. Sarah, not really, really baby, but yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I read this, it was an early on Brene Brown book where she said, found, find a picture of yourself when before life was tainted with doubt and worry and anxiety. And so that's who I picture. I literally have a picture of her that I painted a frame around and put it in like a journal or something. But go, but I went, that's who came up yesterday. Isn't that crazy? And you said prepubescent. That's so oh, that's weird. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'm I am not gonna lie to you. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go find a picture of yeah. young Crystal Marie. Crystal Marie before probably anything. before dad. Probably before dad oh, died. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tomboy Crystal Marie probably covered in mud and bugs. And I'm yes. totally okay with that. Yes. She is extra and full of bling now. So she wouldn't even <laughs> dare. <laughs> And yeah. I need to tell her that it's okay to it's make a okay. mistake. Life is full of mistakes. And that's the part, like I said, we're so, we get paralyzed by the fear of failure. Let me tell you, failure is my best friend. I don't care what I'm doing. If I fail, so what? I'm going to do it and try it again another way. And it's going to be awesome the second time around. And guess what? If it doesn't work on the second time, I got a much better chance on time three. So I'm perfectly okay with that too. And I think when you hit that level of okayness with yourself and with your life, Ooh, honey, that is a beautiful place. Do you think you've hit that level of okayness? I think I have in certain moments, not 100%, still working on it. Absolutely, 110%. And the reason why I say that is because I lived my life for a long time constantly worried about how others perceive me and what others thought of me and do I have it all together and oh my God, I don't want anybody to catch me slipping because I need to be perfect all the time. And I went through a phase where I lost everything. I lost everything and I literally almost lost my life. So really, when you sit in a moment like that, wait, how did you almost lose your life? Can I ask? I have a very rare condition where I've basically been told that I am allergic to pregnancies. And a long story short, there's a much more complicated name for it. And my body just rejects, my body sees a baby as a foreign entity that it needs to rid itself of. So, so pregnancy did you almost me, die on num- with baby number three? Every single pregnancy was horrible. But the third one just went so left field. I, I'll just say this as a nutshell, because that's a whole nother story that'll take forever to go into. Yeah, yeah. That pregnancy alone caused me to bottom out with five blood clots in my lungs, one in my arm, double pneumonia, and MRSA, all while I was was four and a half, five-ish months pregnant. Yes. So could you, were you able to carry, could you carry the baby? So every single one of my babies made it here, perfectly healthy, with no issues, no delays, no mental anything. They're just thriving. Uh, Mm -hmm. Second one's on its way. Oh, she just left for college. The third one's on her way to high school now. And they are absolute gems. That's why I say there is no mistake. The most high knows what he's doing. And I sat there and had a doctor look at me in my face and tell me we may need to abort because we're, we could lose you. 
And I said, well, we're going to just wait this out and see what happens, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know that was a very scary thought and decision, but it's weird because they knew the dire constraints that I was in, but I didn't feel it. I knew in my heart it was going to be okay. I can't explain that to anyone else, but I just have to believe once again, that's my, the faith that I had. Well, I also believe it's that it's the gift of intuition and going back to what you said Mm -hmm. at the very beginning around really getting quiet and listening to self is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's key. You have to be in tune with yourself. And in that moment, and I'll tell you what being in tune to yourself looks like. Luckily, I'm pretty low-key person. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I, I do no form of drugs. So I'm kind of lame in that manner. So, but the boil down to is I know my body. <laughs> I don't body. think you're lame. I don't think you're lame. I think you're healthy. You're I'm talking just to, keeping it real. You're talking to somebody who's yeah. in, who's doesn't drink. So I think it's pretty great. <laughs> so that, and that's the beauty of it. That's the thing though. I know my body. I know when something's different. I know when something doesn't feel right. And let me be clear, that little quiet voice that we sometimes ignore, it's there for a reason because- The day before I went into the hospital, I told them, I said, something's wrong. And they couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. I just kept telling them something's wrong. Something's wrong. They, I went to the hospital. They gave me discharge papers, told me they couldn't find a thing. And that I just needed to go home. I was just having an emotional moment because I was being pregnant and the pregnancy was horrible. And I was just emotionally fed up. And I laid there and I said, I looked at my mom and I just said, they're not listening to me. Something is wrong. And if it wasn't for one of my sisters, thank God that was at the hospital that walked away out of the room and she went out to the nurse and she said, I tell you what, she said, I take my sister home and she doesn't make it back here safely or something happens to her. I will own this hospital, she said, because my sister does not complain. Mm -hmm. And if something's wrong and she's telling you something wrong, you need to dig deeper. And in that moment, they went, they did a few more scans, they did a few more tests, and that's when they found the five blood clots. That's when they found double pneumonia. And now I had, at that point, I had seven doctors, seven different specialists at checking me every day, instantly had a room. And it's just amazing. Like if she wouldn't have spoken up for me in that time. Yeah, Yeah. Because even though I was saying it, they weren't hearing it for me. Yeah. So having an advocate is key. That's where that circle comes in. Your support comes in. Because if we didn't have, I, I, Crystal Marie, didn't have that in that moment. When I got admitted into that room that night, they called a lung specialist in for me. Like, that's how bad it was. Mm -hmm. They called a lung specialist in in the middle of the night, had him come to that room. And he looked me in my face. He said, 24 more hours, you wouldn't be here. No way. 24 more hours because I was refusing an IV because that's what caused me to have the clot. So I didn't want to do it again. I was like, no, we're not doing that. That's what caused these. I'm done with it. And he looked me in my face. He said, my pay grade is way above giving IVs. He said, ma'am, your situation is dire. 24 hours. If we don't address this, you're not going to be here. I'll put it in myself if you trust me. And when somebody says that to you, you kind of got to go, all right, I guess I better listen. (laughs) This is what we pay you for. And luckily I did. And that's why I'm here today and doing all this cool stuff with people like you and, you know, trying to make every day a better day and do something awesome in my community along the way. And, you know, it's just been a journey. And that was the ultimate test. Talk about turning that test into a testimony. 
All right. Uh, I just have to tell you, that's the perfect ending. That's like beautiful. <laughs> Thank you Fantastic. for being on the show today. I, I mean, I, I thoroughly so enjoyed it. I loved being with you. I'm a so grateful ago. you had me on. And I'm glad I got to, you know, be here for your listeners. And I love that. It's another aspect of some cool people. Once again, having my circle. That's right. So I love that. And I hope I see you at Ascending Women soon. Uh, Be there with bells on. Hello. Thank you, my friend. (laughs) No problem. It's been my pleasure. I look forward to maybe another day again. That's right. (laughs) I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 